I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. People that are not alcoholic or addict never, ever wonder one day if they are. Maybe unpack that for me a little bit, alcoholism or addiction as, as a disease state. Genetics, upbringing, past traumas, DNA, um, and just essentially like the way your brain is wired. I thought I was this person, and then I got into recovery, and I found out that I was a whole other person. That, everyone, is Marsha Stone. Since 2011, Marsha has served as one of the few female CEOs in the recovery industry. Marsha is an expert in addiction, recovery, intervention, family therapy, behavioral health, wellness, and ethics in treatment center management. She's spoken on a whole bunch of different TV shows, including uh, Intervention on A&E, Dr. Phil, The Doctors. She is an absolute expert when it comes to addiction, and I wanted to talk to her about addiction and recovery and she's a really fun interesting down-to-earth person i think that this episode is going to really show you a couple of misconceptions that all of us have about addiction especially alcoholism i think every single one of us knows somebody or several people who have struggled with addiction you yourself dear listener might be struggling with some addiction or another right in this moment and listening to Marsha explain how addiction works, what helps to get past addiction, the recovery process, all of these details I think are really relevant for just about everyone. And I think that you'll agree with me. Before we dive into the episode, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. As always, I'm so appreciative that you keep coming back and listening to each of these episodes of the OPP, which I try to curate so that they're useful for you in your life. I go to a lot of effort to try to make the best guests happen that I can, the most effective and useful information that I can in your life for me and for you. So thank you for being here. If you have never subscribed to this podcast, would you please? Whatever platform you're listening to, if it's Apple, it's in the top right. If it's Spotify, it's in the bottom right. Go ahead and subscribe and leave a review if you feel compelled. I would really, really appreciate it. Also, for those of you, if I do not have your email, please email me, sean at seanmccormick.com, and I will send to you What's Up Wednesday, which is a weekly newsletter with five points. One, a health headline. Two, a link to the episode that week. Number three, an inspiring quote. Number four, some sort of cool special offer for biohacking equipment or consumables. And then also number five, which is a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, but some very real conspiracy that you might not know about. So go ahead and subscribe, send me an email. Also, you can always find me on Instagram at real Sean McCormick. And thank you for being here. I'll say it again. I'll say it over and over. One more thing before we really, really dive into this podcast episode is I'm working on a couple of other projects. Uh, I know that a lot of you sent me your emails as part of the app that I was building that we were calling it Virtual Biohacking Assistant. That is now kaput. It's all done, didn't work. Uh, the, the partners that I had working on the tech um, were focused on other things. So thank you for your help back in the day, but uh, I'm onto some new things that I'll share with you soon. But let's dive into the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Marsha Stone. So I just said to Marsha, Marsha, uh, please excuse the way that my face looks. I have marks. I have a fat lip. I have all this redness all over my face. I believe me, <laughs> trust me, I'm not a crackhead. I just do jujitsu. And then tell me what, tell tell the listeners what your response was. Oh my gosh. I was, I was thinking like, did this guy like do research on me? Like what's happening? Because my husband, um, 
started doing jujitsu when we got sober in 2008. And he got his black belt in 2018. And he does this whole like talk about how the spiritual principles that are applied to getting sober, getting into recovery, like, you know, sort of like the, the spiritual muscle memory that's required to take that action over a long term. It's very similar to what he learned um, when he started doing jujitsu, because it's about it's not about this is his words. I don't do jujitsu, but it's a, it's not about the fight. Right. It's about the technique and it's about the calm and the breath and all that kind of stuff. And just like when you think of that in terms of like recovery, the word that comes to my mind is humility. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we have to continue to take these actions, but we're not fighting alcohol anymore. We're just like doing this new way of life that keeps us safe, secure, sober. And same thing on the gym. Because he said, if I ever find myself like breathing hard and stuff like that, he knows like he's off the beam. And um, it's been pretty cool. I mean, I've, you know, obviously I've learned a lot about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I have four sons and they all kind of like wrestle now and roll around. But um, it's like such, to me, it's like such an amazing and intellectual sport that like to just watch it on TV doesn't do it justice because it just looks like two guys trying to like kill each other. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, so that's cool. Congratulations on your bruises. I've lived through those for the last, like, you know, like 15 years. So I get yeah. it. <laughs> that is such a cool place to start. And it, it sort of grounds this conversation, which, mm -hmm. which I, I don't need to tell you is obviously a touchy subject for so many people, a, because oh, yeah. they know somebody, they love somebody who's addicted to something or they right. themselves are, are dealing or managing high, hiding, uh, high functioning through, some sort of, of addiction. And so I want to kind of weave this into sort of a, another question that kind of piggybacks off of that. Are you a fan of, this is an obvious answer, but I mean, how frequently do people effectively recover from addiction and have it last for decades or perhaps the rest of their life by replacing the, the substance with some sort of physical activity like jujitsu yeah. or triathlons or bingo or knitting, like yeah. how effective is that? I mean, I think it's, it's really important because, you know, I think what happens, especially I'll just talk about myself when I was in my addiction, like I had told myself these things and kind of like treated it. Like I had affirmed what my mind was telling me, like, I'm not an athlete. I, um, you know, I'm not good with money, like whatever, whatever the things are, right. That our sort of old mind tells us. And then when we get into recovery, it's like, it's like a whole new day. Right. I mean, it's like Chuck C, I think it was wrote the new pair of glasses or Clancy. Somebody wrote that book called a new pair of glasses. And, and I can really identify with that because there's this like spiritual law of substitution. Right. So if I say to you, Sean, don't think about the Eiffel Tower, right? What do you think about the Eiffel Tower? But if I say, Sean, think about the Statue of Liberty, then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? So it's like replacing something instead of coming at addiction with a negative, like don't do that. It's like, instead, do this. And um, that it's so effective. And it re, I, used, I, um, I sold 80% of my company a few years ago, but at the time we had like a young adult men's um, addiction program. 
And the thing that worked best with these, with this particular like age group, like 18 to 28, is the substitution thing, right? Because at that age, especially that invincibility, that, you know, bravado, testosterone, you know, just like through cavemen up until today, right? And so these young guys, you know, could not, they couldn't even accept the fact that addiction could be fatal. Like they saw their friends die, they saw, you know, all this stuff, but when it came to them, it was almost like the hormones, their brain development couldn't do it. So we're in Austin and like hook them horns, right? And so we came up with this uh, little tagline for, for that program called hook them with a vision. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to say like, hook mm. you with like, these are a bunch of young guys too. They look a lot like you, their life was a lot like yours, but look now they're doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And my husband even actually, we would take the clients to the gym and he would work with them like one or two days a week on spirituality, on, you know, finding a hobby, on, you know, using your time and your energy for things that are going to have a positive payoff instead of, you know, drinking and using drugs like it's a full-time job, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, like, so what was what was your thing or maybe what was one of your things that you replaced and really committed yourself to when you got sober? Well, I mean, mine isn't like as healthy as like bragging about a cool hobby, honestly, but mine's work. I mm. actually love to work. I love it. And I did not know before recovery that I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I've started like eight different businesses since I got sober. And before I got sober, I was an attorney and I did have my own practice, but I wouldn't really call that starting a business. That was just me and this poor paralegal that was trying to hide the fact that I was, you know, like drinking vodka in my office before I went to the courthouse, true story. But um, I really found out like, I love to, um, specifically when it comes to alcoholism and addiction, I ended up getting into that field of work in recovery. And I love to really sort of wave spot and identify like, what do I see coming that's going to be a real problem for this industry, for young people, for older people, whatever it is. Like right now, we just started um, a mental health program. Just started like last week. And it's the first primary mental health program that we've done. But I felt very passionate about it because mental health was already on sort of the radar. It's like, you know, this is a real problem, you know, we can talk about social media. We can talk about isolation. So all those things were kind of coming with the with sort of like the youthful generation right now. But then when you add COVID on top of that for a yeah. couple of years, and it's that isolation, that further isolation, that, you know, tune into the screen and nothing else and all that. So people were struggling already and that just you know, exacerbated it. And so I just felt really called to do that. And is that a hobby? I guess, because, you know, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, you you know, we all have to go to work, make money, pay our bills. But for me, it was more like, it was, it's a passion. It, it's a passion of mine. Like I did the young adult program, super successful. We did a trauma program here in Austin, super successful. And I just say that like, not in a braggy way, but in a way like it feels so good to me that an idea would come to me and I would like have the energy the vision, that sobriety, like all the things have to happen for an idea to come to life. And that's what I love to watch. And it just feels really mm. good to me when, I don't know, it's like a little God whisper or something. And then, you know, you meet families and clients and everything. And they're like, this is exactly what I needed. And I just 
I like that. So that's what I replaced it with really that and oh, Costa Rica. <laughs> uh, did you guys buy property in Costa Rica or something? We did. We did. We had been going down there like 12 years. And um, a few years ago, we found an old house that we wanted to buy. It's like a real old Costa Rican house with like, you know, the walls are like this thick and made out of, you know, like plaster or something that's like never going to come down. And it's just been really fun. And, uh, you know, it was older, so we remodeled it and stuff. But it's just, I don't know, there's something about that country where when I go there, it's like I can like, like my shoulders come all the way down. Well, it's, it's the, it's the Pura Vida lifestyle. It's the mentality. I mean, I think that they did an assessment uh, years ago on what, who is the happiest country in the world. Uh, and it was, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't based on socioeconomic status. I don't know how long ago it was. And I'd have to look up the study. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but it was Costa Rica. They were the happiest. And oh, yeah, I'd love to read and, that. And there are lots, as, as you know, there are lots of areas of Costa Rica where people are living really yeah. impoverished. Like they're, they're yeah. not a, they're not an incredibly wealthy nation, but apparently they're the happiest. So I think there's, there's, they there's are. something, uh, there's something to it. Let I me, mean, let, I, and the most honest and just like, generous loving you know uh, it's just like it's like what I think in my mind it might have been like I don't know maybe like I don't even know what time I was going to say the 50s but there was a lot of like underlying tension then I I guess I don't have any frame of reference to sort of apply it to in our culture because it's just like like you said pyramid yeah the, the the title of this podcast is Optimal Performance, and mm-hmm. we're interested in the most from the least, right? We want mm-hmm. the minimum effective dose. We want the shortest track from non-optimal to optimal. And so I'm going to ask some questions today that, that I hope kind of push you a little bit because for people who are dealing with addiction or 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 have loved ones that are dealing with addiction. And you and I both know it can be alcohol, it can be pills, it can be TikTok, mm-hmm. it can be food, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I think it touches all of us in some way. And mm-hmm. and so I I'm I'm going to I'm going to try to kind of like not really fairly, but kind of try to get the 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 the, the most impactful little nuggets that I can as we go through this. All right. And and so when we think about the process of getting clean and sober and yeah. overcoming one's addiction, what are some of the most effective, for lack of a better term, what are the, some of the most effective hacks for doing that, right? Well, for me, I think that it took me about six years. I was in and out of treatment to get sober. I actually just celebrated Saturday, two days ago. It was my 15 years. I was in Costa Rica. Mm. So, um, so for me, you know, I think if 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 I could give one piece of like bang for your buck kind of advice, I think that a lot of people, especially in like 12 step meetings, you hear things like, you know, sponsorship is optional, sponsorship's not for everybody, da 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 da. And I don't really have a commentary about that, but I will say that the people that are trying to get sober, that find happiness, that find purpose, that find longevity. It's usually 90 something percent of the time I just made that statistic up, but I think I could like back it up um, is because they have found a way to help others in some way, in some way, because when we think of this, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with like, you know, 
12 step, like sort of vernacular or whatever. But a lot of times people talk about alcoholism being a very self-centered or self-focused illness. And that didn't make sense to me at first because I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm generous. I'll like, I'll help anybody. But it doesn't really mean that it's really talking about, and I can identify with this as sort of like self-obsession where it feels like everybody's talking about me or, mm. you know, like, like that kind of ick that I kind of carried my whole life feeling like, you know, the, the, the cool crowd was over there and somehow like I missed the ticket line and I'm sitting over here, right. Focused on me. So if we can take that self-centeredness and that kind of like ick feeling that we've had, like nothing feels better to me than helping someone, nothing, nothing, no drink, no drug I've ever done to really feel like I'm squarely in my purpose. And whether that's starting a treatment center or, you know, we actually, this is another story for you. Like during the thick of COVID, a friend, our property manager called us because we have a house down there, I told you. And the local like the pizza restaurant was going to go out of business because no tourists, they can't pay their taxes, da, 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 da. So when I say like, I accidentally bought a restaurant in Costa Rica, like I mean it. But what happened was the guy had this idea to turn it into like sort of like an open air food court in the jungle. So there's like a little pizza place, there's a sushi bar, there's a juice bar, there's a bakery. And all the people in the community, we have free Wi-Fi, everyone comes. It's just like, you know, a, a thatch roof with tables and chairs and music going on. And that decision ended up, when I show up there, I feel like I'm like, I don't know, like Beyonce or something. Everybody, like they're so happy to see me, right? Because I, to them, mean someone who's going to have their back, who's going to help them if she can. And I mean, it like transformed families and, and a whole community down there. And I don't know that there's a better feeling than that to be in a position mm -hmm. to help someone, whether it's with their recovery or whatever it's with. That is the thing. I think that if we can get focused in on that just a little bit, um, a little goes a long way, as you said. That is so great. And I've never heard that before. And of course, I'm familiar with sponsors and, you know, support and having, you know, essentially account an accountability partner. And I thought yeah. in my mind, I thought, well, as a, as a life coach and performance coach, accountability is, is, is super important. It helps you keep on track. Yeah. And where I was thinking about that in terms of, you know, the sort of AA model is that it's for the person who is, uh, who is being sponsored. But yeah. what you're telling me is that it is the actual sponsor and that act of selflessness, that act of giving the getting out of your own stuff mm -hmm. and making it about helping other people. I mean, that's the golden rule. That's in every biblical, that's in every sort of religious every tax is like yep. help others first. Yep. And guess what? It feels good. It helps the world and good things happen when you do it. I just think right. that that's really phenomenal that idea uh yeah. what, what what's one there actually way? Let's was a some... study about since we're talking about studies there's a study about that and it basically said over you know a five-year period the people that were sponsored were not nearly as affected by that action as the people that were sponsoring others like their their ability to stay sober was like 70 percent and above which is like unbelievable I'll find it and I'll send it to you so you can put in the notes or whatever you said about that other thing. But it's really cool because I have like my own personal experience with how that works. And I've got, 
I'm kind of like, I guess I'm in sort of a, like a hotbed of enthusiasm with doing service work and stuff here. Austin's got a great like recovery community. It's also great, has a great philanthropic kind of community here. So I think, I think like you got to kind of like, uh, this, I hate these like saying, but like hang with the winners, you know, but it's true. Like, you know what, we're going to change it. Hang with the helpers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, it, when it gives you, it gives you purpose. It gives you something to do. It gets you out of your own head. Yeah. And oh man, uh, I, I really dig that. You know, let's take it one step further. Let's say someone who's listening to this right now is dealing with some addiction or another and guaranteed some folks are, what are some small ways that, and this is going to get namby pamby really fast, but what are some, what are some small ways that people can begin Mm -hmm. to reach out and be of service to others in their own way? Let's, let's, let's say like your 30 year old guy who, you know, does CrossFit and is healthy and has a great job and has a great family, but is dealing with some demons, dealing sure. with some addictions. Yeah. What are some Gambling, ways that, that... pornography. I mean, there's so many Oof, different things yeah. that are sort of like undercover, you know, right. and I think a good way to, to begin to start to deal with it is to start to deal with it from a place of curiosity instead of a place of judgment. Because by the time you're starting to think about your drinking or, you know, gambling, whatever it is that you're doing, feelings of like shame, like rise to the surface. And like, honestly, shame is like gasoline to the fire of addiction, right? So if we're able to just kind of like pull back a little bit, I don't have to be in judgment of what's going on, but just start to kind of like be a little bit of an observer of your own life and your own behavior, right? Because one of the mantras that I carried around that was just killing me was this idea like, if you had my life, you would drink like I drink, right? Because who can argue with that? You can't, I mean, there, that's like a dead end, like that's a death sentence type of like mantra. And that's really what I believe. But if, if people that are beginning to struggle can, and the reason I said that is if they can unattach themselves from who they see as their problem, my wife, my boss, my kids, like who's, whoever's bugging them, because there's like this little, you know, breadcrumb thing. Who's bugging me? How do I feel? What changes the way I feel? And what do I now feel guilty about having done to change the way I feel? That's sort of like the little trail to nowhere, right? So if we step back from that and we look at it from a place of curiosity, like, huh, how could I have like listened to what they said differently? right? Or how could I have responded differently? And just to kind of like show some curiosity about your own behavior, right? And then it'll kind of put things in perspective a little bit better. Um, And the other thing I would say is get as comfortable as you can, as quick as you can with asking for help. Because at the end of the day, like whatever's happening elicited from my own thoughts, my own speech, my own actions. So if I'm looking at it with curiosity and feeling like, I'm not going to feel ashamed about this, but I really don't like, you know, where this feels like it's going and how I have to do this in isolation and all those kind of things. So then if you get to the point where you're like, all right, I'm going to ask someone else, like how they're seeing this, how they're Mm -hmm. viewing what I'm viewing. Right. And to begin to have that sort of open dialogue, honest, curious, that's the best way to begin in, in my experience, because then you take out the emotion and you take out the regret 
you take out the shame and you take out the hiding. And once you can get to that place, then all of a sudden there's like a little crack. There's, there's a little crack in this armor that we've all kind of built up around whatever habit has been protecting us, you know? Um, and through that, one of the things I always have is I believe that God shows up with skin on. So that might be a conversation with you. That might be a book I read. That might be, you know, whatever it is, but to begin to look for like, where is the universe responding to my innate need for help? Hmm. And they just begin to be, have some awareness about that. And as they say, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear and it's true. This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus, the non-synthetic HGH alternative that works so incredibly well. And I'm going to talk to you about how I use it and why I love it. And then I'll tell you some of the details about what it is and how it works. Number one, I do not exaggerate when I tell you that BioPro Plus is the most effective supplement I've ever taken to enhance vitality. So that's energy, metabolism, that is sleep, that is libido, all of those things have been enhanced since I've been taking it. And so many of my coaching clients and you listeners can attest to that. It's super simple. It's literally the first thing I do in the morning. After I wake up and use the bathroom, I unscrew the cap to a little tiny vial of the liquid, and then I just pour it underneath my tongue, and that's how I start my day. I can usually start to feel it after about 30, 45 minutes. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. Go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP to get $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I try this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. I think that's especially hard for guys uh, who who are not good at asking for help. Uh, and, and, and one suggestion that I have for, for anybody, just because I've, you know, I've coached people in recovery, you know, it's, it's been, you know, very close to home for me is to just it's, it's hard to say, Hey, I, Hey man, I need your help. Right. If you're talking to your brother or your friend, uh, uh, but one thing that you can do to, to, so that you don't have that like embarrassment or yeah. you don't have those, that, that hiccup is just like, go hang out with them in some right. activity that doesn't right. involve drinking. Right. So yeah. instead of, instead of like, Hey, do you want to get together and watch the game? Which the game just means we're drinking and there's right. a game on. Right. It's like, <laughs> Hey, let's, let's go, let's go for a There run. might be some like, wings involved. <laughs> maybe, hopefully, hopefully there's wings and barbecue, you know, but, but if, if you're, if you're willing to go engage or reach out to someone and just mm-hmm. like, go hang out with them, someone who you think someone who, who, who appears to have it together, who doesn't have their own addictions or, or someone that you just really appreciate, you yeah. know, my, my make mom you feel good said, when you're around them. Yeah. My, yeah. my mother always said, you want to, you want to hang out with the people that you would most like to be like. Mm. And, 
And when you do that, when you're like, man, that guy's got it together or man, she's really got it going on. Like something about the way that she's living her life is really inspiring to me. Go ask if they want to go for a walk or go for a run or go fishing, you know, and something that doesn't involve, you know, alcohol consumption. Don't go to a Mm -hmm. bar, go to a coffee shop. That's a good way to start that. Yeah, Uh, that's true. That's true. um, Why do you think, I just want to ask you this. This is sort of like a, um, a, a little bit of a weird question, but why do you think it is that men struggle asking for help? Well, I know that that's like a very complicated like question, but just like if we boil it all down, like what does it come to? Well, I I think that what it comes to is that there is an innate inborn, there's a, there's the cultural influence, right? Boys don't cry type of stuff, which is there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. But I think ultimately, I think that it is in our DNA. It is in our nature as men to have things figured out. You know, I think that to be the one with the answers. Exactly. We're, 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 we're solution oriented rather than feelings oriented. Mm -hmm. We are, we're supposed to have solutions. And I think that it's a, uh, you know, it's a behavioral evolution for men to, you know, fight off the warring tribe or go secure the meat for the tribe or, you know, put the, put the fire out, be the last one to bed. So I think that it is, innate in our DNA to be the ones who can figure it out like on, on all levels. And when that is, when you acknowledge that that is just a part of you, um, that, that sort of illustrates this, like, I don't, I'm not going to ask for help because I should be able to figure this out on my own. And, Mm -hmm. And I would caveat that and say, well, then you should figure out your own stuff. Figure Mm -hmm make that the thing that you figure out, figure that out. And, and asking for help is going to help. Yeah. 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 Every single time. Now I was just curious, like, um, what your response would be, because even down to like the silly little things, if my husband and I are like driving and we're lost, the GPS isn't doing what it's supposed to do or whatever. Like that man, I, I told him one time, I was like, you would rather like light yourself on fire than ask someone for directions. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. Yes, you're right. Of course. Like, well, yeah. what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, yeah. but I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, men and women, this could be a whole other conversation, but um, I do think that these days, maybe there's been, maybe that's starting to change a little bit, you know, I mean, just with, especially about recovery. I think people talk about addiction more, talk about alcoholism more. I was doing a podcast the other day and I was talking about when I lost my license to practice law or like suspended for five years because they were going to take it. But it sounds better if you say suspended. Anyway, um, like that whole process was just so incredibly punitive. So like, you know, I was uh, I was already ashamed. And then they, you know, like piled 10 more pounds of shame on me. And it's interesting because now when I'm working with a client, like individually, and they have problems with some type of licensure, law, medicine, pharmacy, pilot, whatever. It just feels like that the boards that are kind of making those decisions now and coming up with sort of, you know, the aftercare plan and all the different ways that they're going to, you know, make sure that you're sober. It just has a different feel now. You know, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it feels like people are more 
maybe just more educated and more willing to be open and more willing to ask for help and receive help and all those kind of things. Because I don't know. I mean, I've always said that, you know, incarceration or any time of any type of punitive measure, addiction laughs at, you know, and so it's it's just sort of our society, especially like the medical, the psychiatric, the, the clinical, sort of catching up with the truth about alcoholism and addiction, you know. Mm. Yeah. What are what are some of the biggest blockages that people experience once they've started the recovery process? And and, and you know, I, I might butcher words or, or not use the right terminology because this is not like my er- my area of expertise. But what's the most common like roadblock that people face on their on their path to, to recovery? I think the biggest roadblock is they feel somehow like their recovery life goes in one compartment and their, maybe their family life or their career life, like these little, you know, buckets of compartmentalization. And that never works because if you, well, I shouldn't say never works. It rarely works that if you're going to treat your recovery, like sort of a, like a hidden secret, um, I see people really falling down around that because the, okay. So here's the fear if my boss knew or if my boyfriend's family knew or whatever, they wouldn't like me. They would reject me. That's all. That's all old ideas. That's all like false mantras, false agreements with oneself. When the truth is like, if you're, if you just like sort of push through the fear of saying, you know, at a corporate party or whatever, like, Oh, do you want to drink? No, I don't drink anymore. I got in recovery a couple of years ago and it's been phenomenal for me. Right. Because if you can just say that, then that lets down all that they're not going to ask you. And if they do, that's another issue. And you're not going to have to continue to like make up stories. Right. So what I'm saying is like when people don't, Mm. you know, I don't know if acclimates the right word, if they don't make it so that their recovery life and their real life are one and the same with that type of transparency. It just sets you up for failure because you're never going to feel like your authentic self as long as you're not being your authentic self. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. And and plus, your boss probably already knew, right? Because you were drunk at the Christmas party. Sure. <laughs> like, it's kind of like yeah. Yeah. Everyone that I thought I was hiding it from, they were like, "Marsha, come on," you know. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, I did a talk on literally like the front steps of the Capitol in Austin. And I was talking about, my name is Marcia Stone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm a recovered drug addict. And people would, like, I think it's actually on YouTube. I don't even know how it got on YouTube, but I've had people say to me like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're on the steps of the Capitol saying that you were alcoholic. I was like, but I am, I am. You know, and I don't have shame about that. Do you have shame if you have cancer? You have shame if you have diabetes, right? And so there's this old idea that alcoholism is some type of moral failure. And I just like, I love to like blow that up with dynamite because it's not true. It's not true. Hmm. Let's dive into that a little bit because, uh, you know, alcohol has impacted my family, grandparents, for sure. You know, again, everybody has, every everybody has someone that they know 
that, right. uh, that that's that's been affected by by alcoholism or addiction. And when I was growing up, uh, it was sort of explained to me that it's like a genetic thing, right? Like m- my last name is McCormick, right? So Irish, um, yeah, right. Like you know, high t- high tolerance, you know, like suppressed Try people, second class citizen, yeah, like whiskey and and fights yeah. and bad attitudes, right? It's like. And so there, so growing up, I had this idea that's like a genetic, there's this genetic risk for me and, and, and put that in a bucket. And then this other bucket, it was something that you just kind of touched on is that you compared alcoholism to cancer. And I'm curious about the, the disease sort of tag or, or sort of categorizing it in that way, because I, I, for me, I kind of struggle with that a little bit because you, you, you know, pancreatic cancer might run in your family, but alcoholism is lifestyle choices, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's choices that you've made and whether you made those at 13 at the, you know, at the house party or whatever, and you never looked back or, or not, it is a behavior. It is a, it is a habit of consumption. And that, that, that gets those claws deeper and deeper. So uh, maybe unpack that for me a little bit in, in terms of thinking of, of alcoholism or addiction as, as a disease state. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle with that. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and like the first time that I really knew for sure that I could not trust my brain when it came to alcohol because I was, I went through this period where, you know, right before I actually went to treatment for the last time and finally like got some traction, but I would like have a massive hangover first thing in the morning. I would say to myself as I'm brushing my teeth, like getting ready to go to work, whatever, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm never doing that again. I, yeah, today I'm not going to drink. I'm going to like cook my kids some meatloaf and some mashed potatoes. We're going to, you know, like be like Americana or whatever. And then about three o'clock or about four o'clock, all of a sudden, that seemed like, you know, sort of an overreaction, this idea not to drink. I'm just going to drink a couple of beers, right? So this whole thing is going on. And at the time, I thought I was changing my mind, right? But looking back on the situation, my mind was being changed for me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a resourceful girl. I went to law school as a single mom with three kids, like, I mean, if I set my mind to something, I'd like I'm a hard worker and just all these things. But when it came to alcohol, I would make a decision and I could not I could not pull that off. And then once I got to the place where I could admit, like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I cannot not drink. And when I started to get into recovery and especially after a few years, I went back and got a a chemical dependency. Uh, degree and license and stuff, I really started to understand sort of like, you know, this neurotransmitters and these, you know, the the wiring of your brain and sort of your, you know, pleasure center and all this. The bottom line is, and I asked this guy, there's a really smart guy named Dr. Michael Genovese. If you haven't had him on your podcast, you should. He's like a, a lawyer and a doctor and I don't know, probably like, you know, as an Indian chief or something, but This guy's really smart. And he was the chief medical officer of the biggest treatment sort of corporate company in the country. And I was sitting at him one night dinner and I said, Michael, I said, what causes alcoholism? Because there's there's this whole like debate about is alcoholism 
causal? Was it caused from genetics? Was it caused from trauma? Was it, you know, or was it this? Or was it just people lifestyle choices and you drink too much? So I asked him that. And he said that something like so profound, he said, it's not causal in the way that you're thinking of causal. But if you think of like a spectrum, right? There's this whole spectrum of people who are prone to addiction. That's genetics, that's upbringing, that's, you know, trauma, that's all these things. And then there's this other side of people here where it's absolutely DNA passed down from generation to generation that has that same stuff, even though they didn't live in a place where trauma was part of their like grown up years. So here's the answer to the question. Mm. It's not a simple answer of what causes this and is it is and is it a disease? Because some people drink their way into alcoholism. Some people were so uncomfortable in their skin their whole life that like finally when I found a beer at age 14 or 15, it was like, thank God. Like now I can breathe and dance like all my friends are dancing, right? So it's it's very complex and there will always be some component of gender, I mean, sorry, of uh, genetics and some, well, gender also, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but um, genetics, upbringing, past traumas, DNA, um, and just essentially like the way your brain is wired. The way mm -hmm. my brain is wired, if I'm drinking a vodka and I'm already drunk and I know I should just lay down and go to bed, I cannot pull that off. I'm going to have another one. It's like it makes me thirsty. And it's this allergy that people who have never suffered from this have never had. Mm. I asked my mother-in-law, like, how did you leave that half glass of wine on the restaurant table when we walked out? And she was like, what are you talking about? Mm. Right? She, she doesn't think about it. It doesn't occur to her. And then the other day I was having this conversation with this young man. He was like, no, I think I'm just going to go try to smoke some weed because I don't, I don't know if I'm alcoholic or addict. I was like, listen, people that are not alcoholic or addict never, ever wonder one day if they are. <laughs> they don't, mm. right? Wow. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if no, you're to the point where like you're that. debating whether or not you yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I like that idea because it's, it's, it's you, if, if it's on a spectrum and it's maybe, maybe it's trauma, maybe it's genetic, right. maybe it's, uh, you know, OCD. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. So many different things. Then you may have. Like a, my family's from have, Scotland. Right. And so you and I are like, you know, the, the evil cousins. And why is that part of Europe specifically more alcoholic in terms of like, you know, generations of people than let's say Italy? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I know it's true. And also know, and you probably had this too, like when I was growing up, there was like alcoholism and just like intergenerational abuse had happened in my family for centuries, but no one, no one talked about it. No one knew, you know, it was like, where's your uncle? Or I'd say to my grandma, like, where's uncle so-and-so? Oh, you know, he's, if he cared about his family, he'd be here. Like, that's the only thing that we heard. So it was kind mm -hmm. of that whole, you know, moral failure, shame, regret, all those types of things. And, but then, you know, when, when I started to struggle with my alcoholism, 
I don't, I'm just one of those people like, I can't, I don't have the dignity and the grace to like stay home. You know what I mean? Like I'm out and about, I'm driving, I'm getting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it was so out loud in my hometown that there was no avoiding it. There was no pretending like it wasn't happening because I was also the assistant district attorney at that time. And so what had been like this shameful secret for hundreds of years, all of a sudden, you know, like hmm, on the front page mm-hmm. of the local newspaper, like, you know, with empty wine bottles after I have a near fatal car accident. But looking back on that, Sean, like that's the greatest gift, the greatest gift for any person that's going to be in recovery is to come out of hiding and to be able to be transparent and honest and have no shame or regret attached to it. Like that for mm-hmm. me is the win. And how do you get there? Well, you've got to really look at your own relationship with alcohol and drugs or behaviors and also, you know, look at your medical history. I mean, it's, it's complex, but there's nothing more gratifying than being able to show up as who you are. If I'm on this podcast, if I'm at my kid's school, if, you know what I mean? Like yeah. to me, that's, that's, that's the piece that I was looking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be exactly who you are. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned about like neurochemistry, because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I've done tons of research and experimentation and way down the rabbit hole into, you know, cognitive enhancers, nootropics and supplements that can help people. And and, Mm -hmm. and I do want to get your take on, on your experience with some of these things. But one thing that I have found is that you can take what's called the Braverman assessment, which, which uh, takes a look at your four predominant neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, and GABA. GABA mm-hmm. is this neurochemical that basically is like the brakes. It, it's 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 the neurochemical that's released when you have alcohol. So when you mm-hmm. feel like, oh, finally, I'm not ruminating as much. I can mm-hmm. calm down. I can let the things kind of go that have been bugging yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, and what I found is that people who are, you know, kind of obsessive and have a really hard time just like letting the letting go of the day, especially yeah. even when you're like getting ready to, to wind down, to get ready for bed at the and in nighttime, those people are almost always deficient in GABA. And mm. there are supplements that you can take. There's my favorite of all time is this product called GABA brain food from a company called natural stacks. And what it does is it, it, it gives your brain the nutrients it needs to create its own GABA. So oh, wow. instead of a cocktail or a beer to get the brakes pumping to like slow down your thought processes and say, Hey, thing, you know, let's just let that stuff go mm-hmm. when, when, and, and I work with a lot of CEOs and founders and really, really high functioning people who can't let things go. They never right. let things go. Right. They try this, they try this product <laughs> and suddenly it's seven o'clock at night and they're able to like chill out a little bit and like yeah. stop, you know, uh, this revolving door of monkey yeah. brain thoughts going around and around. So I'll, I'll turn get it off into your a phone, question. texting all your employees and making their life. Yeah. Get off, everybody. get off Slack, right? Like get off right. email. You don't need to check your email. Well, you, you probably don't need to check your email at nine 30 on the West coast. Like people are sleeping hopefully. Right. So maybe you can share with me some of the, maybe, maybe you have some ideas as to, um, you know, 
products, uh, nutrition, supplements, vitamins that people can take that will help them neurochemically and physiologically begin that process of uncoupling from, from addiction, whatever that thing is. Yeah. I mean, and it's such a timely and amazing question because I think that, I don't know, over the last few years, I've started to hear more and more about this type of thing, you know, that we're talking about because before it was just kind of like, okay, you go to treatment, you, you know, eat three meals a day and get eight hours sleep and, you know, work out for 30 minutes of cardio, like done. Right. And, but there are people who that wasn't enough, especially these days. I hate to say this, I mean, one of the scariest things to me right now is all the synthetics that are going into yeah, all the drugs. I mean, of course, we know about fentanyl and, and, you know, that's kind of lacing its way, but, and that's bad. Fentanyl's bad. But the thing that I have seen in the industry that has the longest term effects is honestly like synthetic marijuana, especially like dabs or wax or any of that kind of stuff, because it, it, I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm not a, a, a neuroscientist by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, if we talk about it in layman's terms, I mean, the dysregulation that happens to the brain. I mean, I've also been doing a lot of studying lately with this amazing doctor up in Michigan, um, Dr. Karen Plymel, about brain inflammation in patients, because, you know, it's, it's not one size fits all. And so one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, sort of go down this new mental health pathway is to be able to learn about all the super sophisticated diagnostic work that can be done now. It's, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, hormone yeah. testing, inflammation testing, amino acids testing, obviously genetics and all the other stuff. But, um, you know, what I asked for was like, you know, what is the cocktail? You know, what, how do we fix this? And again, Americans, we want a pill, right? Like where's the tablet? And there certainly are some great ones on the market, like you were talking about. Um, and I do like a, um, like a powder supplement in, you know, my almond milk or water or whatever every morning, because, you know, just to be able to have something coming in to kind of balance, you know, like what's going out naturally because of aging or what has gone away chemically because of, you know, introducing substances to your body and stuff like that is such, it's such a new science. And, you know, I don't, I don't know where all this is going to end up. You know, a lot of people are doing like, you know, ketamine infusions and all kinds of different things, but, um, I guess I've been, I've been sober long enough. And more importantly, I've been around the treatment industry for long enough. Like I'm not, I remember when Suboxone first came out, I was one of those people like, you know, Suboxone is, you know, that's just another drug and da, 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 da. I mean, was there some accurate, there's like factually accurate? Yes. But on the other hand, who am I to say, don't do that if it's going to give you three, four five more years to continue to try to be successful in recovery. Right. Right. So that kind of, right. it, my whole mindset changed about that because I understand now that sometimes people need to get sober way before they actually do get sober. And so, you know, what's going to happen in this interim part where are they going to do marijuana maintenance? Are they going to take Suboxone? Are they going to go get ketamine drips? I don't care what they do. 
because they're alive. They're still alive and they still have an opportunity to continue to live, right? Um, I think it was probably like the big opiate epidemic. I mean, so many people died. I mean, more people than, I, I read a, a statistic one day that was like, in 2019, more people died from opiate overdose than like the Vietnam War, World War II, and some other war combined in one year. Yeah. So who the hell am I to sit back and say, don't do this if it's going to keep you alive until you can, you know, have your moment of surrender or, or whatever. So I've, 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 I've changed a lot since then. And my thing now is what should you do to address your addiction, your recovery, your lifestyle problems, gambling, pornography, you know, like retail therapy, whatever it is. Like, what should you do to address that? Whatever works. Hmm. You do whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I I agree. And and everybody. Were you kind of like that too? Were you like a, like sort well, of a. No, no, I'm the opposite. Actually, I, I'm I'm a huge proponent of psychedelic therapies. You know, I know that Bill from AA, yeah. you know, started his yeah. road to recovery with a psychedelic experience. Advocated for LSD throughout the the twelve yeah. step process. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Rick Doblin from MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, was just on Joe Rogan, which is the you know the biggest outlet. Yeah. Uh, on the planet and was talking a lot about um, uh, an indigenous entheogen that I've been familiar with for a long time. Never, never done it called uh, Ibogaine and Ibogaine oh, yeah. Yeah. is, is In Mexico showing they have. right. Incredible results for people addicted to opiates. And it's mm -hmm. like, so I, I, I have, Do it. I have go to the jungle, like, you know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. I remember it was maybe like we had just opened the young adult program. So it was like maybe 2017 or 18. And at that time I was still like interacting with the clients somewhat. And I was sitting in a group of young men, like doing a process group. And there was, you know, let's say 15 guys in that circle. And I knew all of their history, right? Because I'm, you know, there every day. Anyway, so I was looking around the room and it occurred to me, I was the only person sitting in that circle who had not had a best friend or a family member die of opiates, overdose. I mean, that to me was like, wow. You know, I mean, I had trauma. I'm sure you had trauma. Everyone has some type of trauma, but the generation that's like being raised up now. Yeah. Right. With, with death, abandonment, fear, like that's their backdrop for. Right right? They're formative years. And we are surprised when they're addicted to substances or they're depressed or they're anxious. Are yeah, we? Are right. we surprised? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that yeah. to me was like, that was a killer for me in that moment. And that was part of my evolution to whatever works, you know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, with two small kids, 10 and seven, mm -hmm. you know, having, having to endure the last, you know, three and a half years in a state like Washington, where I'm at with all of the rules. I mean, we nearly moved to Austin a year ago, like wow. almost, almost, almost decided to stay. 
I'm not sure how, not sure how that's working out. We everybody still... else moved on. So come on. I know, <laughs> I know, I know it's either it's, yeah, it's, it's tech, it's the Texas, Arizona or Florida, I think is looking, yeah. still looking pretty good for us. But anyway, but yeah, I mean the, the, I, I do fear for what that's done, not from, not well for my children a little bit, although we're doing our best to help them keep an open mind and see what the reality is of the situation. But the exposure to you, right? Fear, fear as number one. You know, not trusting your body, not having faith mm-hmm. that your body can do what it needs to do. Yeah. You know, not trusting your immune system. You know, relying on outside sources of thing things mm-hmm. to help your body. You know, do what it's what it was meant to do is 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 really challenging. Um, I want to I want to go back to something that you said about uh, you know being in that group of people who lost someone to to opioids, mm-hmm. and you know again within the context of the fact that we all know people who some of us have lost people and we all know people who are dealing with addiction and again this is actually very germane to 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 my to my immediate family right now but for from like an Al Anon or Narconon you know sort of perspective when people are dealing the best that they can with people who have serious addictions, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, it's a son and his mother or, you know, a, a mother and her child, what should people keep in mind? Cause I, cause here's, uh, what I'll, I'll tell you how I'm thinking about, you can tell me whether or not this, this makes sense to you. It's like, mm-hmm. we can have optimism. We can share, we can give love to people and support people who are, who are, who are addicted. But I have in my mind, this idea that we can't change their behavior. We can't, we can't get clean for them. We can't get sober for them. So we have to just almost be sort of neutral, love them and have, you know, reasonable boundaries, Mm -hmm. but it's not up to us. It's up to them to find the time and to find the resources to begin their road to recovery so it's almost as, it's almost a little disempowering because it's like that's I, I can't help you. I can love you. I can have good boundaries, but it really is up to you to get clean. Mm-hmm. So for those for those people who are who are facing or or have loved ones who are dealing with this stuff, what advice would you give them generally? Yeah. Well, I think you know it 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 depends on sort of what is what is the end game, right? So if I'm talking to parents that desperately want their young adult child to get sober and they're then they have enough leverage in that relationship, then I begin to talk to parents about how they can take the power back, right, from the addiction. And how do we do that? How do we get people to go somewhere that they don't want to go, right? Typically consequences, right? So if my young adult child, you know, needs to go to treatment and won't go to treatment, and I'm paying for their apartment and their car and their phone bill and all that kind of stuff. Like I can, I can quickly scale up the level of uncomfortability that they have if the end goal is to get them into treatment, right? If it's like my brother's daughter that lives across the country and I don't have a relationship with her or any type of, you know, like whatever, but I'm worried because the family's talking. Well, that's what you're talking about, like the neutrality, like to pray, continue to, you know, like we want the highest good for for her and everyone involved. So really, yes, 
even in both those sub situations, you have to kind of like, there has to be a little bit of a pullback in terms of setting aside what your feelings are. But then also it's, again, you know, are you trying to affect change in this person or are you trying to position yourself so that you're not, you know, continuing to be emotionally sort of injured by their behavior? That, mm-hmm. Those are two very different goals. Almost, I, I've, I've just worked in treatment for so long that, you know, when you begin to work with a family and like, you know, ask them, what do you want to have happen here? Because if you have all these consequences, there has to be, and this is door number two, right? I'm not going to pay your bills because you're using substances. So here's your choice. You can keep using substances and pay your own bills, or I will continue to support you and you go to door B, which is go to treatment, right? Because where people make mistakes is they don't understand how those things have to work together. Because what sounds like, you know, tough love, which is what I just described, goes awry when parents are getting this sort of like little bit of advice that they hear on TV or something, but they don't have any solution to offer, right? So if you're saying like, I'm going to cut you off, there has to be this other part to it or else the addiction is just going to continue to worse and worse and worse. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a complicated part of what we do. Um, but I think what's really helpful for me is like to, when I'm talking to family members or just friends or loved ones or whatever, to help them really to, to identify what their goal is. If your goal is not to spend any more money, then, okay, we can do that. And we'll talk about how to manage your emotions and your feelings about it. But if you're, but if your goal is to do, to put this person in a place to be going for help, then that's a specific path as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think a lot of people don't really know, like they don't want to think about it. They, it, they right. want this to kind of like go away as part of their, you know, things that they have to consider in their life. Yeah. 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 That's, I imagine that's an internal struggle for everybody. What are they, what are they willing to give up mm-hmm. as part of this? Right. What, and and they boundaries? have to be on the same team, right? Like mom and dad, yeah. whatever. I tell them, even if you divorce, even if you hate each other, if you guys don't come to agreement on this, it creates like a little crevice for addiction to kind of like hmm. swim right through. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how have treatment centers evolved in the last, say, 10 years? They've evolved a lot. And I mean, I'm proud to say like I am a subject to that evolution, but it makes me feel kind of cringy about some of the things that I used to think and believe. You know? but, <laughs> um, I was just like an abstinence girl. You know what I mean? Like I got sober and I don't, you know, I'm fine. But that's not the case for most people, really. You know, the sort of like mental health component with addiction is dealt with so, so, so much better now than it was when I first got into this industry. You know, there was a lot of um, con- like confrontation style treatment. And, you know, if people were trying to, you know, communicate that they were depressed or they were anxious, 
a lot of times back in the old days, people would be like, oh, that's just, you know, like you got the rids, restless, irritable, discontent, you know, that whole thing that you hear about in 12-step meetings, like when I got here, you know, I've spilled more beer than you drank. And when I got here, they, the old timers told me, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Like that kind of thinking um, had migrated its way into treatment centers. Some, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not a student of sociology with how that happened, but I know that that same type of, you know, sort of like disgusted with your behavior and, you know, you're going to listen to me because I'm the expert and, you know, you're the F up or whatever. Um, I don't want to be dramatic. I mean, it wasn't like what you see, like, you know, like Alcatraz or something like that, but there was definitely more confrontation style accountability. And these love. days, yeah, tough love. These days, I'm finding that people are generally more educated um, by their, when they get their degrees to be licensed professional counselors, whatever, that when they come into the treatment world, they're much more educated about interpreting behaviors through a trauma lens or through a mental health lens than they were when I first started. Because everything mm. was through this, you know, like defiant, rebellious, AA newcomer lens. And it was, like I said, I feel cringy sometimes, like it was so off the mark. But, you know, I think that's with anything in life, right? When you know better, you do better. And I can yeah. say that, you know, for the treatment center that that I ran for a long time, it really evolved over the years into a much better style of, you can be, you can hold people accountable without being cruel. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and if, you know, from the outside looking in, it would, it would appear to me that like the sort of boomer attitude, yes. you know, pull your, yes. you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that sort of golden generation attitude of like self-reliance and you're going to make this. And mm -hmm. that, that gave way to a, a number of new generations who needed different things, right? Millennials, mm -hmm. you know, by myself and sort of the older the very old oldest spectrum of the millennials you know we're sort of a sensitive uh highly informed yes uh highly reflective yes. sort of generation who needs hugs and needs support and and is probably i mean i would assume more um more self-aware good yeah. bad and ugly Sure. And, and so we need different things. We need to acknowledge the fact that trauma, capital T and little t trauma happens. We need to acknowledge mm -hmm. that it's not black and white, that, you know, I can do some research in 15 minutes and know more about the origins of addiction and alcoholism than right. my grandmother, right? You know, right, right, and, right. And so with the, with that information, we just need need new approaches. Well, the so other thing too me, is like, yeah. if we're running a treatment center and we're calling this a disease model and we're sending bills to insurance companies because we're part of the medical model now, then how the hell are you talking to someone who's just come in and being, you know, cruel and aggressive when you're talking about like the crisis that brought them to treatment? You see what I'm mm. saying? Like you yeah. can't have it both ways. Right. If right. this is a brain disease, then 
you are powerless. And if you are powerless, that means that you're not only powerless, you know, over drinking or using or behaviors, like you're powerless over the ensuing behaviors that happen behind it, right? And so when I started to really, that to me, that's what kind of clicked it for me because I'm, you know, like people do things, people say things, but a hypocrite, a, a, a hypocrite is a big ick for me. And so, you know, if I'm saying this is a disease model, I could have had cancer, but then I'm yelling at your daughter for, you know, going over on her phone call those two things don't, right? They don't reconcile. So we have mm -hmm. to begin to look at the behaviors and the whole person and the medical side and the clinical side and the spiritual side through this lens of spectrum. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. That makes total sense to me. So the sort of old guard, you know, rough around the edges, mm -hmm approach has made way for considering a spectrum of behaviors and yes. neurochemicals and needs and we're, we're better trauma. yeah we're better at it now we're smarter at it now hmm. than do you want to speak for the you, entire industry but you know well, I mean, that's I think, that, that that was my next question is right yeah. because I, I i doubt everybody's on board with that and 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 they're I, not you know and would, some people are saying speculate. we've been doing that forever marcia like welcome you know you're like yeah right yeah, I, I have to imagine that, that different clinics and different retreat centers and detox places are all kind of operating with, with different best practices. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah. I had to do like what felt right for me at the time, right? If I'm the leader of this organization and I'm bothered by something that's happened happening in our organization that I feel like needs to be talked about, discussed, maybe changed, that's like, that's my responsibility. Yeah. You know, it's scary. Yeah, but it is. Well, we, it, we have to change. Institutions have to change. Governments have to change. People have to change. We have to evolve with the times and with the tools and resources and, you know, sort of the paradigm that, that we're living in. And TikTok wasn't a thing five years ago. And how many people do you know, Marsha, that are addicted to TikTok? I know like 11, oh. like off the top <laughs> of my head. And we know that it's a dopamine hit. Same way email badges and push oh, notifications yeah. oh, just yeah. stimulate the dopamine. I'm just going to look at this thing for 10 seconds. I'm just going to look at this thing for 10 seconds. I'm going to get right. that hit. I'm going to have a chuckle and then I'll be good. And an hour and a half later, your right. eyes are right back at you're it. scrolling through. It's like, yeah. And, and again, like it, you just, we need new solutions, new th thought frameworks. Well, this, we this just has bought been a uh, infrared sauna <laughs> for our new yeah. program. And my friend that's worked with me for a long time was just giving me so much shit. She was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean so much crap. Uh, Are you okay? He's like, you just paid $12,000 for an infrared sauna. Like, do you think that you would have done this 10 years ago? And I'm like, heck no, I wouldn't have done this 10 years ago. But like, I'm so proud that I did today, you know? Yeah. Whatever. What about an ice barrel? Yeah. Do you get an ice barrel yet? <laughs> Yes. Have you, have you done? We've yeah. got the cold plunge. We've got the infrared Good. sauna. We've got the acupuncture. We've got like, you know, trauma focused yoga. We've got the yurt with the sound bath meditation. As, I mean, cool. listen, this is Texas. Like nobody's doing that here. <laughs> they are, I don't know them, 
but like California, <laughs> I know I'm late. I know I'm like, oh, we did that 10 years ago. Like, sorry, we're over here like eating <laughs> like steak and potatoes. Sorry, we're we're slow. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you need uh, if if you need a coach to come in and consult on some biohacking techniques, let me know because um, neurofeedback is incredible. Transcranial stimulation is incredible. There I would are so actually love to tools. talk with you. Like, I want to do a follow up call to this because you've gotten you've gotten me thinking about a few things, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got I've got lots of tools. I mean, I've got red light intranasal red light therapy devices. I've got, yeah, the transcranial stimulation, this Fisher Wallace device for anxiety and depression and sleep is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should talk. (laughs) We just bought this Um, thing. This is like, I know we got to go. We just bought this thing and it looks like a goggles and, but it's like a massage to your, basically massages your eyeballs in your sinuses. Like if you have headaches and stuff, but I was like laughing so hard, like really? I'm buying something to massage my eyeballs now. Like what? I grew up in South Georgia, like, you know, like picking watermelons out of the field or whatever. But um it's so cool and it works. Like it I literally works. had a bad headache the other day, like sinus stuff. And it worked. It was like 10 minutes later. I was like, and I didn't even take it. Yeah. Break, you know. Yeah. Yeah. This, well, it kind of, it, 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 it lends to the, to the point earlier. Like if there are effective solutions that we don't know about, we should explore them, whether that's Ibogaine for a two day heroic trip, that's going to like totally blow you away or, you know, um, the Apollo neuro device that can change, you know, that can change your mood with a, with a vibrating wristband, like the clinical trials are good. Like yeah. There's just so many things and we have, we have to stay open to them. Yeah. Uh, what, what did we, before we take this thing home, um, is there anything else that you really want to share or something that you're, that you're really interested in or something that, that you think that we didn't cover that we should have? No, I, I mean, nothing like specific. I, you know, the thought that came to my mind when you were just posing that question is, you know, for people that are listening um, and I sort of told it like in a, you know, two or three sentences about how I thought I was this person. And then I got into recovery and I found out that I was a whole other person. And while that is hmm. true, number two things, number one, the, the, the process of beginning to learn that and understand that was over like a couple of year long process. Right. And the other thing too, is there's absolutely nothing special about me if people are listening to the show and they're struggling with addiction, you know, the most courageous thing that they can do is ask for help and really realize that like, if substances are locking down your life, like your life is going to be beyond your wildest dreams. Like you can't probably think that right now, but it is absolutely true. I mean, I never thought I would like not only own treatment centers, but like design them, you know what I mean? Like I never thought that I would, you know, have Mm. a a pizza restaurant in the middle of Costa Rica, but it's like, I just show up and just like, kind of like do the small things and life just continues to unfold the way that it was, you know, meant to, I feel like I'm along for the ride basically. And that's what I want people to understand. Like everything good is within you. Everything, everything you need for happiness, for success, for, 
you know, peace and joy is within you. And the only, the only task is to unlock that for yourself in whatever way mm. works, you know, Beautiful. because well that's said. when the, 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 the magic starts to happen. You know what I mean? And, and I feel like everyone deserves that. You know, I mean, I think back to the to the girl I was like struggling, 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 struggling. And now I wish I could like whisper back to her, like, it's going to be OK, you know? Mm, yeah. Oh, that's going to be OK. <laughs> Makes me Where feel a little emotional. We... Like... <laughs> yeah, I can I can tell. Well, I, I I think anybody who's listened to this is understands your authenticity, you know, mm. understands and is, and is getting a sense for for how you think about this. So where, where, before I ask the last question, um, which is a fill in the blank question, where would you have people go? Where, where would you, if they want to learn more about you or the centers or new paradigms yeah. or new ways to think about this? Where would My you email them? is like, I have the easiest email in the world, Marsha at MarshaStone.com. I have to do is remember my name. Um, I have a website, MarshaStone.com. Um, the one thing I didn't tell you was when I decided to build this sort of new platform of treatment centers. I think they'll probably end up being five or six underneath the platform. I was reading like some recovery literature one day and it said, um, helping others is the foundation stone of recovery. And like, that's so in line that I named the new thing, the new program uh-huh. platform, foundation stone family of programs. Everyone thinks it's because of my last name. That's just a nice little like, honestly like a coincidence but it's everything about me is in that one sentence right and so foundationstone.com you can find that on the web but if you just want to if you have a question or or just whatever just email me I mean I I try my best to be as open as I possibly can when people like reach out to me and have questions because you know to me I was going to say authenticity is the most important thing in my life. And I think like authenticity slash vulnerability, because I feel like because of some of the harder things that I've had in my life happen, like to be vulnerable just means to be honest. And um, like you said, you can find out anything you want to know about someone on the internet in 15 minutes. So, you know, might as well to, might as well own it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. But it does feed my soul. It it feeds my soul to be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I tell people be, be the most, be the most extreme version of yourself that you can possibly be. Love the, love the deepest, play the hardest, sing the loudest, you know, throw yourself into the work that you do with purpose. Um, yeah. well, this is, this has been great. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to just, just dive into it. You know, I know it was perfect. It was like a real, here we go. Yeah. Um, so the last, the last this is how podcast is, should feel, by the way, I've been on a few that it doesn't feel quite this. Yeah. Well done. I appreciate well done. that. Uh, it means a lot to me. I, I take this seriously. I'd like to think that I do a good job and, um, you know, I get, I get feedback like that a lot that people enjoy themselves and, and mm-hmm. that those are the best conversations. So yeah, I well, did see th- your bruise is, right there. That. I, oh yeah. <laughs> I look at my lip too. Oh no. Um, I see that one. Battered. 
Yeah, battered. I'm yeah. sure your wife will agree. Don't don't like protect the ears. Yeah, it's starting a little bit. Yeah, she's not. Mm-hmm. Does your husband have cauliflower ears? A he little must. bit. I was a like, little bit. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> put on the little the little thingies there. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that. You don't. Know that that guy. He's like, loser. Would you rather ask for directions or put a protective thing on your ear? That's the question Ooh. for your man. <laughs> I defer. I plead the fifth. I I can't. I can't answer that. Uh, so. This, this last question um, I've asked hundreds of times to, to each of the guests, and this can be just can be based on whatever you know to be true in your life. It doesn't have to be specific to what we've been talking about, but you can elaborate as much as or as little as you wish on this response, but please fill in the blank. Okay. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Everyone would benefit from knowing that. They have every single thing they need within themselves to be happy and fulfilled. Here, here. I kind of already said it, but I actually got that from Beyonce. I was at a Beyonce concert several years ago, and she, like, in the middle of the concert, stopped the music, stopped everything, and just the light on her talking. I felt like I was listening to, like, I don't know, like, one of the... uh, disciples <laughs> but she was like listen to me this is right after she found out like jay-z was cheating on her becky with the good hair all that stuff uh she was like listen to me women men children every you have every single thing within you right now god is within you to be able to do anything that you want to do to find your own happiness and your own freedom and it was essentially, I mean, I said it a little differently, but like that was such a powerful moment when I heard that. Like I had like chill bumps from my hair to the tip of my toes. And I was like, I heard it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I heard it. And now I say it and it is my truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You've got everything you need. Beautiful. Well, Marsha, what a great way for me to start the week. Thank you for, for kicking off this Monday in such a powerful way. We'll follow up and, and talk about uh, some of the other stuff, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, you're right. I feel like my week is off to a good start now. <laughs>